0: Uh, have your Bible open uh, in front of you if, uh, if, you, if you can, and uh, let me find my way to all my bits and pieces, and let me give you a title up front, Just, uh... all right, there we go, the writing The writing's on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Daniel 5. Won't you pray with me? And then uh, we're going to look at this together. In the words of Hudson Pope, Make the book live to us, O Lord. Show us yourself within your word. Show us ourselves and show us the Savior. And make the book live to us in Christ's name. Amen. We 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 understand don't we that expression the writing is on the wall. Do you understand what what that means? Uh sort of went into the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary. I hope. And there it is. The dictionary said that when it comes to the writing on the wall it means that something bad will probably happen. Soon, So someone might say, well, I haven't lost my job yet, but the writing is on the wall. A politician who is being heavily criticized knows that the writing is on the wall. Uh, a, a sports team that's got a bad run of, of results, uh, the writing is usually on the wall for the coach. And the writing was on the wall for King Belshazzar, a king king. Of Babylon. And if you've got your Bible, look at verse 5. It literally comes in the form of, of fingers of a human hand that suddenly appear and they write on the plaster of the wall. I wonder, have you ever wished that God would write His will for your life with His finger on the wall? Or if you ever wish that he'll write the will of the, his will for your life, maybe write it in the clouds or write it on the sky. I certainly have. Well, back in the fourth century, there was a Roman emperor called Constantine and uh, he supposedly saw this, this, this cross of light in the sky and along with the Greek words in this sign, conquer. And uh, he says he saw that and he took that. And that eventually resulted in the whole Roman Empire being converted to Christianity. The, uh, the Hebrew writer was not joking when he said in the past that God spoke in various and weird ways. You'll notice in the Old Testament, God spoke through burning bushes. He spoke through donkeys, through visions, through dreams. He even brought up the, the spirit of, of, Saul, of, of Samuel, you remember, when Saul went to the witch of Endor. And here we now have these freaky fingers. But if you trace the finger of God in the Bible, it becomes rather intriguing you might remember in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, that after God had inflicted the Egyptians with a plague of gnats, the, the magicians all freaked out and said, Oh, to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, Exodus 31:18, to get the words of God, it says that the words of God were inscribed by the finger of God. And here's my favorite finger. In, uh, in, in the Bible. In fact, it's in the New Testament. Uh, after this woman is caught in adultery, she's brought to Jesus, and they, they, they bring her to Him, and they, 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 they want to try and use the situation to, to catch Jesus out. And it says in chapter 8, verse 6, that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with His finger. I'm not going to tell you what I think that, that was going on there. That you'll have to ask me in coffee after the service. Let me take you through the story under the first of my headings. Firstly, the Feast of Belshazzar. Have you ever had a good party lately? Well, this was the party of parties. King Belshazzar, he's actually the son, not of Nebuchadnezzar, he's actually the son of Nebonius, he was actually the grandson, or even the great-grandson, of Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar is on the throne of Babylon. And if you go into the historical records, extra-biblical records, we know that this is probably somewhere around about 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar has died. And King Belshazzar, he throws a party for a thousand of his nobles And the alcohol was flowing in a flood of debauchery. Not only does Belshazzar parade his wives and concubines, but in some sort of opulent arrogance, he decides to drink alcohol out of the golden cups that were taken from the temple of God by Nebuchadnezzar many years before. And you'll notice, look at verse 4, if you've got your Bible, you notice as they drank out of these cups that they praised the gods of gold, of silver, of bronze, of iron, and wood. This was one heck of a feast. But let me pull out some vices for you from this feast. Here is the first vice. It was a drunken feast. They were drunk. Here is a second vice that comes out of that, that feast. There was sexual Immorality. In fact, historians tell us that these Babylonian feasts were so full of sexual decadence and immorality that the details they were not willing to write down, it was too shameful to share. A third vice that comes out of this feast is idolatry. And we saw it in verse 4. They praise the gods of gold, the gods of silver, bronze and iron, and heaven knows whatever else. I mean, here what you've got is you've got Belshazzar. He thinks as he drinks out of the golden cups, he thinks that he's got Yahweh in his hand. Well, go down to verse 23. Daniel is later to remind him when he says, he says, But you did not honor the God who holds in His hand your life and your ways. And then there is a fourth vice, and that is greed. Greed. The dictionary defines greed as an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, sex, or food. The greed of Belshazzar was on display for all to see let's see how the fingers of God in the New Testament reflect on these vices take a look for example at Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions factions, envy drunkenness Orgies and the like. And Paul says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Please do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, swindlers, nor slanderers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in Colossians chapter 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these things the wrath of God is coming. We need to remember, and we must not be deceived, that those who indulge in the pleasures of sin will not inherit the kingdom of God, and they will suffer the wrath of God. As Paul again says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, he says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. From the feasting of Belshazzar, we go to the fingers on the wall. The fingers on the wall. There comes a time when human defiance, human wickedness, and human arrogance will not only come to an end, but will be confronted by a holy God. There comes a time when His patience is exhausted. There comes a time when man's mocking of God will be wiped from man's lips. Isaiah 42 verse 8, in the words of God, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. In Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this. This is the Lord speaking. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God with His fingers on the wall is going to point out the consequences for Belshazzar's arrogance and pride and idolatry. But understand this, that God will not be mocked forever. He will not give His glory to another. What sin is, sin is glory grabbing. And God will not allow man to grab His glory forever. Belshazzar at this point, he doesn't know exactly what the writing means. But you notice verse 6, is pretty freaked out, isn't he? He sort of suddenly sobers up out of his drunkenness rather quickly. And I think that if uh, you ever had that experience where suddenly these freaky fingers start writing on the wall of your home, I reckon you'd be pretty freaked out too, wouldn't you? From the, uh, from the fingers on the wall, let's go to the forewarning of the fingers. It's amazing, isn't it? He pulls in all the wise men, all the astrologers, all the magicians, everybody that thinks they're clever. He brings them in there, El Belshazzar. And he says, please tell me what this writing is on the wall. And not one wise man, not one magician, not one astrologer is able to tell the king what it means. The wise men were just not that wise, were they? They could not understand spiritual things. As it is written in Isaiah 29, and 1 Corinthians 1 I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate Have you ever wondered why before you were a Christian do you ever under, do you ever wonder why you could not understand the truth Do you ever do you ever think about it and wonder why could I not understand spiritual things do you ever wonder, now that you're a Christian, do you ever wonder why non-Christians around you, they can't understand. They can't understand the truth. They don't understand spiritual things. Why? Here's the answer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has ever conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These Are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. You see, the truth about God, the truth about Christ, the character of God, the character of Christ, the truth about salvation, the truth of the gospel, it has been written down by the fingers of God in the Word of God, but it can only be understood by revelation. You can only understand spiritual things. You can only understand the truth of the gospel if God reveals it to you. If He lifts the veil off your heart. If He he lifts off the barrier from your heart. If He opens the eyes of your heart. Only if He shines the light of the glory of Christ into your heart. Here's what I want you to understand. That understanding and believing the truth of the gospel is a beautiful, beautiful gift of grace. The queen or the queen mother steps in. Verse 10, and 10 to 12. Textually, it could probably go either way. Anyway, the queen or the queen mother steps in and she brings a little bit of calm to this frenzied fear of the king. And she advises the king to go and get Daniel, whom she remembers was a man who couldn't interpret dreams as he did for Nebuchadnezzar. Queen or queen mother, well, if it was, if it, if it was the queen, then it was Belshazzar's mum. then Belshazzar listens to his mum. It's always a good thing, isn't it? It's always a good thing. You've got to listen to your mum, Sarah, you've got to listen to your mum. You know, I'm 50 years old and I still listen to my mother. It's always a good thing to do. Worth noting that Daniel at this point is about 80 years old. He's lived through King Nebuchadnezzar. He's lived through a guy called Amil Marduk, who came after Nebuchadnezzar. He's lived through a guy called Negal Shah Sazor, who came after that. And then he's about to outlive Nabonius. King, uh, he's outlived Nebonius, and now he's about to outlive Belshazzar as well. Daniel has outlived all the pagan kings that were over Israel. Now that is not a picture that you and I are going to outlive all the non-Christian authorities over us. But it is a picture that the kingdom of God of Christ will reign forever and those who are part of the kingdom of Christ will live forever in the glory of Christ with glory, with Christ as King. Daniel illustrates this proverb in uh, Proverbs 24, verse 24. The evildoer has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. So what do those freaky fingers on the wall mean? Mene, mene, mene. Takel, parson. Daniel gives a very simple explanation in verse 26. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign, Belshazzar, and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is just the plural form of, of parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Here's the message. Here's the forewarning. Belshazzar, your days are numbered. Belshazzar, you have been weighed on the scales of God and you have been found wanting. Belshazzar, your, king, your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar, you have been numbered. You have been weighed. You have been found short. And you're going to be judged. That's the message. Here's how uh, Hebrews nine twenty-seven puts the same thing in very short terms. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Our days are numbered, aren't they? We are going to die. If you and I are put in the scales of God's goodness and righteousness and justice, we will be found short And therefore, we will face the terrifying judgment of a holy God. We are numbered. We have been weighed. We've been found short. Let's go a little deeper. Let's have a look at it just a little deeper what it means to fall short of the mark. Has anyone ever told you in some way that you've fallen short of something? It's not a very pleasant thing to say to someone. For example, you fell short, Jamie, of reaching your sales target. Maybe you haven't. You fell short. You fell short of the world record. You fell short of that time that you needed. Your work falls short of the standard that is needed. What the fingers said to Belshazzar are these words from Paul to all of us. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, what that means, it, falling short means an arrow that has fallen short of a target. An arrow, or, 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 or in, in modern terms, it would be a bullet that, that has fallen short of a, of a, of a bull's eye. God says to a drunken, blasphemous, idolatrous, greedy, sexually immoral, pleasure-seeking, corrupt, arrogant Belshazzar, you fall short of my standard. You have been weighed in my scales, and you have been found to not weigh enough. I wonder if this picture is familiar to some uh, of you. Maybe you can just uh, get my face out of the way there. Thank you. Um, Do you know what that is? That is who? It's Lady Justice, isn't it? Lady Justice. Now, if you go around the world to various courts, either there will be statues inside outside of Lady Justice. She's named after a Greek goddess. You'll notice that she's got the scales in one hand. She's got what in the other hand? She's got the sword. And do you notice what's around her eyes? She's blindfolded, isn't she? So what happens is if you are weighed in the scales of justice and you're found short, you don't weigh enough, you're going to bear the sword of justice. And she's blindfolded because that justice needs to be meted out without bias, without favoritism, and partially. We sang that song uh, a little while ago. I shall come back to it. Lady justice is really God justice. You see, God weighs us in His scales. He weighs us in His righteous scales. We, have found, we are found to fall short. We are, we are not weighty enough. And we will bear God's sword of judgment without bias and without favoritism. As that song went, as we did sing last week, it's a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Good and upright is He. If God's standard is perfection, we fall short. If God's standard is holiness, we fall short. If God's standard is perfect obedience to his law, we fall short. If 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 the standard is loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we fall short. If 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 the standard is loving God, is loving our neighbor as ourselves, we fall short. And therefore God's sort of justice upon us, his sort of judgment upon us is righteous and good and fair. But you see, one of the problems that we've got is that we're always comparing ourselves to someone else, aren't we? You see, if you compare yourself to someone like Vladimir Putin, you might turn around and say, well, I'm not as bad as him. He deserves to be judged. He deserves the sword of justice. He may deserve to go to hell, but not me. But you see, when we compare ourselves to God's goodness and God's righteousness, God's standards, God's morality, it's then that every mouth becomes shut before a holy God. It's then that we stop comparing ourselves to other people and we accept that we deserve the sword of judgment. Our days are numbered. We've been weighed in the scales of God's righteousness and found wanting. We will face the judgment of God. But the fingers of God point us to the finger of God. The fingers of God in Daniel 5 point us to the finger in the New Testament. So take a look at this. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus says, But if I drive our demons by the finger of God, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So what's happening here is that the fingers of God in Daniel 5 point us to the finger of God who is Jesus, who brings about the eternal kingdom that God promised in Daniel. So if the fingers point to the finger, let's have a look at this. Let's go back to Hebrews 9, verse 27 again, but add on verse 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, numbered, weighed, judged, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. For him. Do you see? Do you see the mercy and the grace of God and the finger of God? Our days are numbered. We have fallen short. We will face the sword of judgment. But Christ has taken that sword for us. The finger of God, Jesus, brings us a salvation. Because at that cross, Jesus took the sword for us. If you want to put it this way, it was at the cross that the sword of God was wielded on Jesus Christ. The the days of Jesus Christ were numbered. But when he was weighed in the scales of God's righteousness, he was not found wanting. And yet, the sword was wielded upon him for our salvation. there are a few people here, at least I know one person here today, that knows what it's like to lose a finger. I won't say who it is, it's Rob. Um, There's somebody else in our congregation, others that will know what it's like to lose a finger, someone recently that's had to lose a toe. And and what, what I'm told is that Sometimes what happens is, maybe not in Rob's case, but sometimes surgeons need to take off a toe or they need to take off a finger in order to save the whole body from infection and even death. Maybe I can put it like this to you this morning. God cut off his finger in order to rescue your infected soul from death and judgment, and hell. Can I say that again? God cut off his finger. He cut off his finger, his son, Jesus, in order to save our infected souls from eternal destruction and misery. So let me start to bring this to a close under my final my final heading. The fishes of men. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, you'll notice there's an extraordinary end to Daniel 5, isn't there? God comes and reveals himself to Belshazzar. He says, Your days are numbered. He says, You've been weighed and found wanting. He says, You're going to be judged. But actually, what's happening here is that in the midst of this, Daniel is. Pointing him and us to the finger of God that was cut off, that would be cut off in the future for people's sin. And you get this in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. God didn't give Belshazzar much time to repent. But he gave him enough god did not give belshazzar much time to repent but he gave him enough can't help thinking of that thief on the cross hey that thief on the cross maybe an hour maybe half an hour we don't know exactly the timing but maybe an hour before He died on that cross. That murdering thief robber cries out to the one who could save his soul from death. And Jesus said to him, Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. While a man, a woman, or a child breathes, there might not be a lot of time but there's enough time. You remember these words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 17 he said come and follow me jesus said and i will send you out to fish for people. You see brothers and sisters in christ we are the fingers of god. We are the fingers of god that are pointing People to Jesus, where the fingers of God pointing to the finger of God, to Jesus who was cut off by his father, to the one who took the sword of justice and can rescue the soul. You see, in our message to every man, woman, and child is very, very simple. Your days are numbered. You have been weighed in the scales of God's justice. You have been found wanting. You will face the judgment. But God is cut off. He's cut off his finger to rescue you. The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Let's pray. Father, I just want to pray this morning that there might might even be someone here this morning that for the very first time they've seen your writing on the wall. They will see that their are, days are numbered. They've been weighed and found warning. They will face the judgment. But you cut off your son. You cut off your finger in order to save them. Would you draw them and call them to yourself? Would you open their eyes? Would you reveal yourself to them and save them, I pray? And for those of us, Father, who are trusting in your finger cut off, for those of us trusting in Jesus who took the sword of justice for us, that we would have courage, boldness, in gentleness and grace to go to people and say, there might not be a lot of time, but there's enough. There's enough. We ask these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there. We're gonna close here. I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna just maybe ask Fiona to just play just play something quietly, whatever. I'm just gonna give you a moment. We, we we are running quite tight on time, so we're gonna finish the service here, but I don't really don't want you to move too quickly. I really want you to just, for a moment or two, as long as you want to, tea and coffee will be served outside. You can go through and and get tea and coffee before before the others come in. We will start at 11 o'clock sharp with our ministry meeting. But before you go, would you take a moment to ponder the writing? The writing is on the wall. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for those whom you love, in whom you move and have your being, your home, your work? What does that mean? Maybe you can take the moment to pray and ask the Lord to give you courage. To tell them about the writing that's on the wall.